Welcome to Live with Domery Podcast here at Domery Healthy and Fit, where we bring you incredible episodes from around the world that will leave you inspired and wanting to come back for more. Today is no exception. We have a multiple sclerosis warrior coming on, and she has faced things you would never imagine. Her name is Bobby. She is a mother of two. She has served in the Navy, and then she found out... But you're going to have to wait till she comes on live with us soon. Stay tuned for Bobby to come on and talk to us about her incredible journey living with multiple sclerosis as well as being in the Navy. Welcome, Bobby. I'm so glad you're here. And yes, life is all about shit happening. And you've got the most incredible story ever. But I don't want to jump to all that yet. Incredible. All right. So you are a mom of two, your husband, and you met at a certain time frame. Yes. Your life is extremely busy living with multiple sclerosis and being yes. a mom, being a wife. Mm-hmm. You're all that there is to be done as a true Yeah. I'm all over the place. It's crazy every day, but... Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. All right. So I'm going to start from the very beginning that Bobby here, this beautiful, young, inspiring woman, was a kick-ass Navy officer. No, I was an enlisted. Enlisted Naval officer. In the Navy. In the Navy. Yes. Yeah, I was a petty officer. Yep. Still, I don't care. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the other rank. (laughs) All right. So as beautiful and sweet and petite that she is, Bobby, tell us about how you decided to go into the Navy and what that job was. Okay. So when I, well, actually it started in my junior year in high school. Um, there was just always something that when I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I wanted to do something that was bigger than what I could do by myself. And like, it's kind of crazy to go back, but I remember the exact day um, when 9-11 happened and I was in fifth grade. And since that day, um, I wanted to serve my country. But at the time I didn't really know that I was actually going to do it. and then um, I really went to a lot of recruiters and kind of asked questions, like, because every branch has its own quirk. And so when I got to the Navy, I'm like, this is it. So I, I was, got into their debt program. So basically, so I was pretty much in a debt program for, um, I think it was about eight, nine months or something mm-hmm. before I got shipped off to boot camp. So my job in the Navy, I was a aviation ordinanceman. So basically what that means is I dealt with all weapon systems on uh, airplanes. So I worked on, uh, well, super hornets. So uh, there's tons of different types of planes. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of depends when you go to school it kind of dictates, okay, what plane you, are you going to work on? Or um, am I going to be attached to a ship? So I was lucky enough to get to a squadron and 
I got to do a little bit more of the hands-on work versus being on the ship and building the weapons. I got to put it on the planes. So that was pretty cool. Okay, that's not just pretty cool. That is like the ultimate superhero. Cool, you are like badass Wonder Woman and Angelina Jolie and Tomb Raider all at once. I mean, you are just like, let's go. Here you are, tiny little petite, and you are like, yeah, I can pick up that bomb and shove it right into that plane and get this on there and the guns and everything. Yeah, You're a badass. <laughs> you are a true badass. It's kind of crazy when you're doing the stuff like you you're in the moment doing the work, but there are some moments and that you can like take it all in, and it's those moments that you're like really proud of yourself. Like you know, I'm doing something that I probably would never been able to do on my own, and so that had a lot of meaning to me being able just to do. Just sit and watch the jets take off. That yeah. We just loaded up. So that was pretty cool to take. That to is take so cool. So cool. And yeah. then the next cool part of your story is you got stationed in Japan. Japan. Yeah. So it's My your first time. Station. You get such a cool job. You're yeah. on an aircraft and now you're being shipped to Japan. Yep. Yep. Ah. It was a, I was eight, uh, well, I was 19 because I turned my birthday right before I went to boot camp, but right out of high school, um, shell shock. I didn't come from a very big city. Um, the biggest place I've ever lived is probably maybe 80,000 people. So mm -hmm. it was a huge culture shock, but it was definitely an experience that I will always treasure. Yeah. Well, I mean, how can you, like, top that? I mean, yeah. unless you tell me you're going on the moon next. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. So during the time that you were in Japan and on the ship and doing your job, um, in our pre-interview, we talked about um, you had met an officer that was... Yep. So my husband... Wasn't an officer. He was enlisted. Too, enlisted. As well. But yeah. you didn't know each yeah. other at the time. No, no. I didn't know that we were in the same squadron. Didn't know that we had the same job. So actually, we worked in the same shop, but he was in charge of a different shop. Um, it's usually people, it's called temporary assigned duty, um, that people get kind of put different places. Um, and so he was the supervisor of that shop. So I'm new to, this was my first appointment. So right when I got to Japan, I got flown to Singapore to meet the ship and I was on deployment. So it was all craziness at first, but yeah, didn't know he was even, we were in the same squadron. Like, it, yeah. Wow. We laugh about it today, but... But looking back, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, like, there's my future husband. Yeah. And I don't even know it. No, didn't even know it. No. No. So. And we've been together for 11 years. So. Congratulations. Um, now, during the entire time being on the ship, why don't you tell our viewers about some of the news that you got from home that was the beginning of the tragicness of what led up to where we're going to go? 
Okay, so um, I actually, so do you want to go back like before? Before you um, got the phone call about um, your. Okay, so before that happened, so this time frame is like the beginning of the year. Uh, and I was there in Japan when the Fukushima meltdown happened. So it was really chaotic. It was just craziness. But um, we we really didn't know much of anything the first week. But we realized that our aircraft was being detected for radiation. So the Navy um, decided that we were going to evacuate because our aircraft is worth one aircraft is worth millions of dollars. So um, they decided that they were going to take the whole squadron. So we had, I can't remember, but I want to say seven squadrons altogether. And they were evacuating wow. us clear down to Guam. And the families that were there um, that we, on the base, they were evacuated and sent back to the States. So we okay. went back, we went to Guam. And we were there wow. almost two months down that way before and, we were able to. And not only back. that, but having that huge earthquake and oh, like yeah. the cities in turmoil, you're being told the ship has been, you know, had radiation going through it. What about you having radiation? And yet you still yeah. can't go home, but they sent everybody yeah, on yeah. base home, but then you get stationed back and to oversee and overlook um china asia and yeah. doing your yeah. job so over there controlled that whole region so things which was awesome oh, so i guess that's a good yeah. part of all of it <laughs> yeah so it was you know sometimes we would get maybe two three days kind of just depends but we're still working so i maybe got to enjoy two days maybe mm -hmm. if i got lucky but we were still working like, but, it was not a day off whatsoever. Yeah. Bobby, what was your um, mindset at that time? Like, here's this huge earthquake um, that happens, really, and you're being told. It was really scary. Um, I, I would be scared. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's crazy how powerful that earthquake was because it was more north of Japan. And where my base was at, um, if, like, Tokyo, I feel like people know where Tokyo is at. We're about like two hours south of Tokyo. So like it's like a four-hour difference, but it felt like we were right there. And mm. I was in my barracks, and I was just cleaning my room, and all of a sudden I kind of got motion sickness, and my TV went flying, and I caught my TV, and you could feel the building just like, like it was a warmth. It was just wiggling. Oh. And it was it was awful. It was the worst feeling. And after that, you're like, okay, is it over with? But there were so many aftershocks, but it literally felt like it was the same thing. Like every thirty minutes there was another one and another one and another one and another one. Oh like it was gosh. not a shock. So it kind of freaked me out, like uh, just yeah. because there was our, my squadron, uh, they went on jet. So 
we have to keep our officers qualified so we can continue with our mission. Mm-hmm. So they were down in, uh, well, in Okinawa, and they were supposed to go to Iwo Jima, but everything got kinked when that uh, earthquake happened. So it was really chaotic. Everybody didn't know what was going on. And, um, and like I said, it was about a week when they realized, okay, like, plant plans are changed and we're going down to Guam and we don't know how long we're going to be there, but we're going to be back for the next deployment. Cause my fleet, we were a forward deployed fleet. So basically we went out every single year compared to here in the States, they, uh, take turns basically. Yeah. So you're not, you don't go out every year. So it, yeah. So, wow. Okay. Well that's, that in itself is just traumatizing to anybody. But the fact that you lived through it and you had no idea, can I go home? Can I not go home? Have I been affected by radiation? All of it is just so... So when we landed in Guam, so I was one of the last crew to leave our base. Um, Actually, the Marine Corps came in to uh, patrol, like guard our base while we were gone. Um, But when we landed in Guam, we would get off of the plane and they had, I don't know what it's called, but they would detect uh, if there was like radiation on you and uh-huh. everyone's boots, like they pick people, not everybody, and their boots would like light up like there was radiation on them. Wow. So we knew like everyone was affected some way. That. <laughs> I don't even know what to say because I think I'd still be checking myself today. Do I still have more radiation <laughs> and going yeah, from so there? But yeah, that's really scary. Really yeah. scary. And the fact that's that you crazy. don't even know if this ship has been contaminated. You know that the, the yeah. flight. So when we yeah. left, the whole fleet of all the ships left. Mm. So they went out in the ocean and just stayed there. And they were... They didn't, they didn't pour anywhere. Like if you were attached, your duty station was on the ship. Wow. You went out and you didn't know when you were going to touch land again. Wow. So, so oh. scary. So during all of this first year of everything happening, you got a phone call as well from home. Yeah. So um, when I got back, when we got back from Guam into Japan and we were getting ready to go on deployment and it was about a few weeks and I get a phone call from my mom and she said that my uh, uncle uh, passed away from brain cancer. He fought brain cancer for years and Mm. um, it just ended up taking its life. So that was, that really, really sucked because he was like a second dad to me uh, growing up. Like, we were always together. So um, it sucks because I couldn't go home. I was going on deployment. There's no way it, it wasn't happening. And I knew that um, I, I couldn't go, which hurt, but I knew, you know what, this is my life. I'm serving my country. There's things that's going to happen that I can't I can't help it, and I just have to keep moving forward, keeping my head up, like, mm-hmm. you know, 
My family was amazing. They always sent care packages. I always got emails. So I'm, I was always in touch with them, that, which which helped a lot because there's a lot of people who don't get that whatsoever. Yeah. They just and broke my heart. So like my grandma, she would send goodies all the time and I would like boxes full of goodies. So my whole shop, like we would, all, I would always share with everybody just because I knew just yeah. having a little like home cook something like it was huge yeah so the camaraderie of your team was your family on the boat for so long and but you have already been traumatized with so many things already at such a young age from 18 19 moving into your 20s going from there when you first started to notice that something wasn't right, you had mentioned to me that you started to notice um, tingling. Can you explain yeah. to us what parts of the body you started to notice the tingling before you even had a diagnosis? You just you knew something was wrong with you. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So um, I started my the left which is so weird. It wasn't my full lips. It was just my whole left side, and mm-hmm. that was it. And I noticed that I was also getting really bad headaches, but then I would get really, really bad migraines. And I never had a migraine whatsoever before, but when that tingling started, um, my knees down started to get really tingly and, like, pins and needles sometimes not consistently but here and there Mm -hmm. um and I knew okay something's going something's wrong like I knew something was wrong but then at the same time like I I pretty much I feel like I have a good pain tolerance like usually I'm like you know what you're fine like you can get through this like it'll go away it's not a big deal like it's it'll go away Mm-hmm. And so I just had that mentality because I'm working 12 to 16 hours every single in day. In Japan on a ship. Yeah. In it, yeah. We're, yeah. So when all this started happening, I was on, uh, when I was on deployment. So after I got that phone call, a few weeks later went by and then went on deployment. And then that's when everything started. And then I didn't really pay attention to it, but I'm like, well, maybe I just kind of have, I don't know, something going on. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really mm-hmm. pay any attention to it yeah. whatsoever. So. You just continued your days. You kept putting the bombs yeah. on the ship. You kept loading it with yeah. the guns, doing your job, yeah. in and out, um, and just dealing with the pain of the migraines, dealing with the pins and needles, yeah. dealing with and your face needles. going numb. Face. And... So, um, each day, um, I, when it started to get like, to like up here and it wasn't down my neck or anything, it was just right here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, like it's consistent. It's not going away. Like it's full blown, like numb pins and needles, just a really irritable feeling. So, uh, I told my chief about it and he's like, go down to medical. So I went down to medical Never been to medical um, ever besides into boot camp. So I'm about a year and a half mm-hmm. into my service. And it was funny because the corpsman's like, you've never been to medical before? Like, haven't you ever gotten sick? I'm like, well, yeah, I've gotten sick, but 
I didn't need to come to medical. Like, I wasn't going to. I'm like, I'm coming to medical if, like, I have a finger missing or, like, I have a broken bone or that's what medical to me is because um, there is, like, this persona um, in the military, like, oh, you go to medical because you just want to get out of work. And that's not the case. But my job was just so physically demanding that we needed everyone on deck to work. And so I understood that. So I went down to medical and told him what was going on. And he's like, looking at me, mm-hmm. well, I can't really tell anything, but if it gets worse, just come back. I'm like, okay. Uh, okay. So I go back to work and, um, That's... it was probably, it, it just got worse and worse. So my numbness and tingling went up all the way back to the back of my neck. Mm-hmm. By this time, um, I'm kind of getting uh, vision issues in my left eye. And it was off and on. Mind you, I was on night shift. So I was working on the flight deck. There's no light besides a light that's on the island. So you have a flashlight. And at nighttime, it's not a regular flashlight. It's a red bulb. So it's kind of hard to see. (laughs) But um, I noticed I was running into pylons, which is like the wingspan, uh, like there's like tanks or what holds the bombs. Uh That's what they're called. I would be running into them. Um, The tow bars that would tow the planes around the flight deck, I would be tripping over them. Like I couldn't, I I couldn't see it. Yeah. I couldn't see it. And so um, I, if it wasn't for my chief, I probably would have just kept continuing suffering. But he was like, go down to medical. Like, he would call his other chiefs, like, hey, I have someone coming down. Take a look. And so it was probably by the sixth time, mm-hmm. uh, I had no movement. Um, Your face was my, being paralyzed. Yeah. So I had a droopy face. Um, I had bitten my mouth so bad. I have a gnarly scar but I would bleed all the time. So eating was extremely hard. Even brushing my teeth was so painful. Yeah. So I got in and uh, the corn, I got a new corman. And so I'm like, well, maybe this corman will actually, well, you can actually see it versus yeah. me telling you what's going on because you can't see it. And I remember the corman coming in and he's like, didn't I tell you? to come back when it got worse. And I remember turning and he saw that I couldn't even move it. And so he was speechless, like, oh yeah, it is worse. I'm like, well, yeah, it is worse. Like something, I'm like, and I just remember telling the corpsman, I know something is wrong, but I don't know what it is. So they diagnosed me with Bell's palsy. And it's kind of crazy that I, I remember a, there was a few corpsmen behind me and I don't know if they didn't think I could hear them, but they had prior just the day before training about Bell's Bell palsy. So I'm like, okay, so were you guys trying to figure it out? Like you weren't keeping me in the loop that you were trying to figure it out. Like it would make me feel a little bit better versus like, Oh, you're crazy. Like, just come back if it gets worse, you know? Which is what most of us have faced. We literally know there's something wrong with us. And you go to the doctors. It's just that 
feeling inside like, okay, this is not right. It's not right. And something's wrong. It. You yeah. can't explain it. Like you're trying to tell them, but finding those right words, mm-hmm. it's like them hearing it, they're like, that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense to us. So it exactly. How do you explain? I can't feel my face. I, I It's pins and needles. Yeah. I can't. Uh, like or or it's dropping mine drops and yeah. i can't feel it yeah. and my yeah. you know like sometimes it goes down there yours is on the left yeah. mine's on the right yeah. and yeah. most of us go through that it's the extreme mm-hmm. migraines at first and the lo- the vision yes. lost and then yeah. it goes to the pins and needles a part of our bodies and our face or our mm-hmm. speech or our throat or it feels like we're being joked or yeah so you know everything is wrong with you but they still can't figure it yeah. out no and just can't figure it out uh, so I was finally seen by a lieutenant a doctor mm-hmm. and he prescribed me prednisone uh, to help and it's I wasn't thinking then at the time because I was so overwhelmed with everything but I don't know how I was still able to do my job because I was still fit for duty, which I don't know how I was fit for duty because I was having vision issues. Like, I, my job is very demanding. visual. I'm lifting live weapons. And so thank goodness for everybody in my shop helping me. Yeah. Um, well, but... Tell everybody about how you smashed your head into the plane. Oh, so I, you have, so there's um, a chaff and flare buckets under the engines. So you have to climb underneath, underneath there and you lift, like it's these big boxes. And so you have to lift them, lift them up and kind of brace it on your shoulder because mm-hmm. you have to crank it in. So when I was ducking down, um, I smashed my head, which I didn't know at the time because I couldn't feel anything. And when it, she was um, a third class at the time, and she was like, you're bleeding. And I'm like, I'm bleeding. She's like, yeah, you're bleeding right here. I'm like, I didn't hit my head. Like, what are you talking about? Because usually you get bumped and you just don't think about it. Like, I can't feel any pain. And so sure enough, I, luckily I didn't have to get stitches, but yeah, I'm like, oh, I had no idea. No clue. None whatsoever. Wow. So, and that happened a lot. So, um, and cause I, with the, with the cranials, cause it's like suction to your head. And usually there's times when you can like kind of take it back a little bit so your ears can get a break. Well, I had it up. So basically I had to keep mine on at all times just in case. You smashed your head again. Something It would be protected. So I'm like, it sucks because my ears got sore. But at least it continued that I wasn't hurting my forehead anymore. So... Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And then yeah. um, after they put you on the prednisone, it said it would help you relax. Well, prednisone helps you relax, but it also makes you gain weight and it also screws up your serotonin. 
and kind of messes with the brain. Yeah. So what happened after they put yeah. you on prednisone and they diagnose you with a disease you actually don't have? Yeah, so the crazy thing is it didn't do anything for me, nothing. Um, I kept telling doctor like it's not making it go away, like it's getting worse, like I, it's just not, it's not working. And yeah, that was, I didn't really get any much like, it seems like you're tolerating it well. And I'm like, well, I have to tolerate it because if not, then I'm going to be a huge mess. Like I have to keep myself together. Yeah. Like I can do this, but I need help. Mm-hmm. And so luckily we were close to end of deployment. So, um, I dealt with those crazy symptoms for four months. And, and also um, your knees constantly in pain, we spoke about, and yeah. your oh, legs. That's the other thing I totally, totally forgot. So when I told him about my legs, because I noticed, like, I wasn't, um, my grip strength wasn't the same. Like, mm-hmm. it was so hard to be like, okay, like, why is it, like, slower? Like, I'm not connecting like I used to. Like, okay, this is not right. Yeah. Um, and I told them about my legs, and they're like, oh, you're tying your boots too tight. And I'm like, I've been tying my boots the same way. How is it too tight? I'm like, that doesn't make sense. So, and, um, and it's kind of crazy because when you're on a ship, you have limited resources. So you work with, with what you have. And um, to a point, like, I really get it. Um, but there's also, they could have kept me in the loop, like, okay, let's try other things. Like, let's try this, let's try this, something until like, I, I noticed something, but I think it's because we were close off a deployment. I could be going to a doctor in Japan. Well, that didn't happen at all. Um, because I was finally flying home, um, was meeting my well husband now but future husband mm-hmm. um and then going to be seeing my family and but so before you I got was, to that point you started to notice you were losing weight you yeah, so I were lost, sick um a minute, like 35 pounds wow so in the navy i weighed about like one six between 160 165 um, when I got off the plane, um, well, back home, I got weighed and I was like, what, 133, I think I can remember some of that. Wow. So I lost a lot, a lot of weight. And the thing is, like, uh, my job was just so physically demanding. And every, on deployment, if you ask anybody on a ship, everyone loses crazy amount of weight because you're on your feet and you don't get to eat as much as food as you want because you're on a time crunch. And so there's certain times when you can't eat. So mainly the food, the bread, like food times that I did eat, because I worked nights, would be at midnight to one o'clock in the morning. And if I was lucky, like if I had enough energy, I would go eat breakfast before heading to my rack. But there was cleaning stations every day in the morning. So mm-hmm. If you're up and you got caught, you have to stay up for an hour and clean Oh, the my ship. gosh. Yeah. yeah. 
So you had to make sure that you were in the shower, cleaned, in your rack before cleaning station started. So. That's like living today. A time crunch. A time crunch. Uh, yeah. And. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and my I gosh. I the best meals was breakfast. So breakfast was the best meals on the ship because especially being enlisted. So from E1 to E6, um, well, basically E5, uh, you, 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 there's like thousands of you. Um, the mate that, and there would be two galleys, but they're just trying to make food after food, after food, after food, and like feeding so many people. So everything got pretty basic. Wow. So pop tarts was a big one. So we started <laughs> on pop tarts. They had pop tarts. Okay. I love so pop tarts, but uh, I had to stop eating them cause they're not good for you, but I can totally agree no, with the no. fact that. You're yeah. starving, and it tastes good, but it's going to get you in the long run. Oh, it does. <laughs> so I never would have imagined Pop-Tarts on yeah, a Pop-Tarts. Navy. It wasn't Pop-Tarts. It was the single ones in the packages, so you really got to start out. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, that is something I never yeah. would have known about the Navy <laughs> and being. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right, so now, <laughs> okay, that went through me for a loop. <laughs> pop tarts, okay. Yeah, pop tarts. The breakfast of champions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about your. You know, you're going home. You're going to be. You're yeah. on a plane. You get on a plane, so, and you're sitting next to this adorable couple. So. Let me back up just a little bit before um, on the plane. So uh, I got to be picked for catch crew. So the ship has to be moving in order to get the aircraft docked. So I got picked to be, um, there's probably like maybe 10 of us, uh, to go back to Japan early before everybody else, which I was super pumped because I'm like, yeah, like, I'm getting off of the ship. I don't have to be on the ship. I feel horrible still and soon I'm gonna be going home I get to see my soon-to-be husband and my family like I am excited but I was like I need to get to the states because I want to go see a doctor like that was I I know if I get home I can be seen by someone and they can actually listen to me mm-hmm. so that's what I was so focused on well it was the day before um, I got hit with some, like, I felt like I was, like, motion sickness, but I never knew what vertigo felt like. Well, it came to the next day, and it was worse. But I kept telling myself, you know what? I'm getting on that plane. I'm going to be launched off of this flight deck. I'm going back to Japan, and then I'm going to make sure, you know, because we had to download weapons off of the aircraft because they mm-hmm. it's called inert, so fake weapons. Um, and then I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to the states. So I held everything like I had to concentrate so much not to throw up because it literally feels like when you get catapulted off of the flight deck, it's an insane feeling. Well, I do horrible with roller coasters anyway, so I was like panicking, like, okay, we oh. got this. 
thank goodness. And I did not puke because the flight crew of the plane was like, hey, if you puke, guess what? You get to clean it up. And I'm like, oh, heck no. I'm not puking. Like, this is not happening. Oh, so my God. I said a lot of prayers, and I made it through. So got there to Japan, uh, retrieved the jets, and it was time to the – it was the day before – uh, that I was going to get on a plane in Tokyo at the international airport and fly to my first destination was Seattle. So, um, I woke up and I couldn't even lift my head off of my pillow. Like I was so, I felt like I was walking sideways. Like I could not keep myself upright and I couldn't eat. I tried to eat something, but it was like, I, after getting that feeling of like, when you just feel dizzy, you're like, I don't want to eat. Like I yeah. don't feel the energy to eat. So I'm like, I have to eat something. I'm like, it hasn't, it's been a while since I ate, I need to eat something. So it was really, really hard. But, um, my plane left that afternoon, but the shuttle bus left in the morning time. So I pretty much camped out at the airport but made it to Seattle and you know, you have to go through customs and then you have to go back through to get through security to get to your next slide. And I remember, I don't know how I made it, but I made it through security and all of a sudden I just started puking and thank goodness they have those big trash cans everywhere. And I, and usually I'm a very, I used to be a really, really shy person. And so at that point, I'm like, I didn't care. Like if people wanted to watch me throw up, then they could definitely watch me throw up. But I was just so focused on, okay, make it to the gate, get on the plane, find your seat, just sit down, like keep yourself together. Well, this couple, um, an older couple, and mind you, I didn't say anything to them. And looking back, I wish I could thank them. Um, Because I remember getting on the plane and I had a bag and I just dropped it and I pretty much fell into my seat and this couple basically grabbed my stuff, put it up in the cargo thing, made sure, because I dropped stuff, they put it, the the seat next to me, because there was no one in that seat. And I just remember just like focusing, like, don't throw up, like, it's okay, you can make it. So we get into, um, uh, uh, where did we, where did I fly into? Uh, Pittsburgh. And my husband, well, soon to be husband, um, he's there and I see him and I'm just so relieved to like see him. Somebody and you know, someone you love. Somebody yeah. I know. And I just remember this feeling of like this weight lifted off of me, but I was face forward right on the floor. Oh my gosh. And I remember you know. people swarming around me and, um, uh, he ran up and was like, are you, and he knew what was going on. So mm-hmm. he knew I was in really, really rough shape, but we just didn't know that. What it was. Yeah. Yeah. So he picked me up, took me to the car and we drove to the ER and the doctors, I kind of told him, you know, I just got off deployment. These are kind of issues I've been dealing with. And, um, they said, you know, uh, you have a really bad, UTI infection, you're really malnourished, you're really dehydrated, like we just need to get you back up 
so you know we can figure things out and yeah my vertigo was horrendous so they gave me medication which I don't like that medication now because I swear it makes it worse for me it did and so um I rested um he my well husband now he took care of me um made sure I was okay, helped me to the bathroom, like, tried to shower. Like, showering was really difficult. Yeah. So he, it was just a relief that he was there. Well, offset, it was so weird that the Disney, like, it was gone. And I was like, well, this is just, like, really weird. But I felt drained, and I felt so weak. And I still had the numbness, and that my eyes, um, the optic neuritis, which now I know what that is, um, dealing with all those things and I I felt so much better like so much better um, but we uh, got married uh, at the courthouse nothing smancy or anything and went to see my family um, that's when it got worse uh, I couldn't taste or smell um, I couldn't tell between hot and cold and that's when, um, uh, well, my aunt was there with my mom and she was like, she's a nurse and she's like, you need to go to the ER. Like something, something's wrong. Like I can tell something's wrong. Yeah. So I went to another ER visit and, um, by this time to when I, that other ER visit, it's been like five weeks. Okay, so since you've been home. Yeah, yeah, five weeks back in the States. Um, so we went in and the, doc, the doctor, the ER doctor was like, okay, what's going on? Updated him. He's like, okay, we're going to do an MRI on your brain and kind of see what's going on. And so then he's like, is there a chance that you could be pregnant? I'm like, what? no, I don't think so. I'm like, I've been with my husband for five weeks like I really doubt it well sure enough comes back like he's like well uh just want to say congratulations and I'm like what and because my body was so much under under stress and I'm like there's no way that I could be pregnant well yep I was and the look on my newlywed husband's face was like holy shysties. Well, you got so pregnant before my, he got off the ship. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it was like that. It was super fast when, uh, like, within that, the, when I started feeling better. So it was really, and it was early stage. They're like, it's barely. So we're thinking you're like maybe, maybe two and a half weeks. Like, you're just barely. Wow. So I'm like, oh. And they're like, Okay, well, let's go get an MRI scan. So I'm like, okay. So they got an MRI scan, and they come back, and they're like, well, um, you're going to a neurologist. We found a lot of lesions on your brain, and it's more uh, than we anticipated. And so I went to a neurologist. And but at that point when they said we found lesions on your brain, they didn't actually say the word multiple sclerosis. All no, you heard no, was, they just said I have lesions on my brain. Yeah. yeah. And so um, got to the neurologist and 
I did a lot of testing with him because I was overseas. Okay. I was in a lot of other countries. So he thought, you know, you could have meningitis or camera the other one. So I got tested with a lot of things. Um, and I had, I did get the spinal tap, uh, which was scary. Um, but it, I, I pictured it, it was worse just how they were describing it to me. I thought it was going to be way worse, even though it is scary than having a needle between your spinal cord and getting the fluid. That's really scary. But, um, they sent it off because they had to send it to a big, huge lab. And they're like, you know, it's going to take a little bit. And they, they're like, just keep us posted. Um, they were in uh, trying to figure out, okay, like, should we bring you back to Japan? Should we keep you in the States? Like, what do we need to do to yeah. help you? So they were amazing on that part uh, because they knew, okay, this is actually, this is bad. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. So it was a few days before Christmas, and I remember looking at my phone, and it was my doctor's office. And I looked at my husband, like, I can't answer it. So I handed the phone to my husband, and he picks it up. And um, he's now wording everything that the doctor's saying. And so he said, She has multiple sclerosis. And at the moment, I was so relieved. I'm like, I have an answer. But I looked at my mom, and I looked at my sister. So my sister's in the medical field. And so she was going through college and looking at the, both of their faces because they knew exactly what it was. They started crying. And I'm like, why are you crying? Like, I didn't know. I never even heard of an autoimmune disease no, at no. all. Yeah. And so I don't think most of us had ever heard of an autoimmune disease. And when you hear the word multiple sclerosis, yeah. And when you hear the word you have multiple sclerosis, you're like, okay, great. What do we do next? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what's ahead. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I can just still picture like where they were sitting and, um, they just were so sad. But they were so grateful that I finally had answers. So it was like this happiness, but also this, wow, like your life has completely changed. Even though at the time, I had no idea that yeah. my life was about to change at all. So um, it was crazy. But my command, once they found out that I had uh, MS, um, I got new uh, duty station orders. And so they shipped me to uh, Whidbey Island in Washington at the naval base up there. And they, they were great. The command there was incredible. The people were amazing. Um, going through the process, because it's a long process, um, because you have to go do things like that. But uh, my husband, uh, he, uh, he was a contractor so uh with uh i can't remember what it's called now i can't remember what government agency but he went over to kuwait um to do the same thing as he did in the military navy yeah. with the kuwaiti air force over there so here i am i have a six month old working daycare all the things and and uh, living with multiple sclerosis living with multiple sclerosis 
Um, I, and before my husband left, uh, they, the neurologist, uh, I started with a drug called Avenex and my husband, he's such a trooper. Uh, he gave me the shots cause I couldn't do it myself. So he did it cause he had some training, uh, in the military mm-hmm. and me- the medical cause he had to do that, uh, for, a. Uh, he was temporarily assigned duty, so he was in the med- medical area. So uh, that was horrible. It made Abnex was so painful. I was sick all the time. I couldn't even function. I couldn't even walk by the end of the day. So I remember always pulling in. My husband would come out and would pick me up and carry me into the house because I couldn't even feel my legs. And... Uh, so mm. things were going really good um, because I told my doctor, I can't stay on this. Like, I tried it for four months, and I'm like, I can't do it anymore. Like, I need something else. Well, they he pretty much told me, you know, this is a good a good one. Like, I don't know why you're stopping it. So I pretty much got irritated and ignored the doctor. And he was a lieutenant. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take a break. I'm just going to focus on going to work taking care of my son and being a wife, you know, all the things. So, uh, my husband got, um, a job over there in Kuwait. And at the time we needed it, um, living, you don't get really paid a whole lot in the military. So, um, that was his job rate. That's what he was good at at the time of the Mm -hmm. training that he had. And so, yeah, uh, and the drug that they had you on is not cheap. Yeah, yeah. Is don't pay for. No, no. And luckily, the Navy, because uh, it's a Tricare based, um, like you get it paid for. But it's it. I just feel like it depends who the doctor is and where you're located, mm-hmm. uh, because medical is not the greatest. whatsoever my experience um I can't say for everybody else but I was just tired of it because no one was listening to me nobody was nothing and I was just done with it well I had a really bad relapse um I lost completely vision and luckily I had amazing friends they helped me um helped me with my son until my mom could get there so she lived about 11 hours away so my dad put her on a plane and um flew her to seattle and me and my friend went and picked her up and so she was there she stayed with me until i was fully discharged um, wow from the military so uh she lived with me for like eight months that's incredible so she was amazing i couldn't work um at all um Oh, you couldn't work at all. And you have a six-month going on to seven-month-old where they get into all kinds of stuff. They're walking. I never really healed from my first major relapse when everything started happening. Yeah. So it it was really, really hard. It was scary because I lost complete vision. Like I could not see, so I had to do the steroid treatments, and that was not fun whatsoever. 
and um, I was just thankful that my mom was there and my command was totally understanding and um, all my friends uh, that were there uh, definitely was really warming that I had support. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I had to go through a medical review board, which takes a long time because you have to go through a lot of procedures. You have to see a lot of doctors. You have, you have to do a lot of stuff. So they found me, um, that I couldn't continue to be in the military with the, how my body was, especially for my job. And that was why, like, if it was maybe like, if I had more of a desk job, I would have been okay. But since my job was so physically demanding and that I had to be deployed by getting treatments, that was the tricky part. Yeah. Um, if, if I would have been able to get treatments yeah. being deployed. So I was pretty much retired from the military, but I was very thankful that I did get to serve my entire four years. So I was really, I really wanted to finish my yeah. whole service out. So I was, I was happy I got to do that. Um, but God bless was, you to because God bless you for actually finishing your full four years and going yeah. through such horrific life-changing experiences and not just I mean MS alone is horrific it's painful it's it's a yeah. beast you cannot see and it's hard no. to tell somebody what you're dealing with you know yeah, and in the beginning for me I I was in this denial stage for so long mm -hmm. um I pretty much was like oh you're fine like, oh, it's not a big deal. You're okay. Like, suck it up. You can do it. Like, you have stuff to get done, so let's go. Yeah. And it wasn't till six years after my diagnosis that I was like, you know, like, I need to do something different because I really hit rock bottom then um, with my illness, with how I felt about myself, how I hated how I looked and Mm -hmm. I was just really degrading to myself and I, it was so hard for me to communicate what was really going on because I didn't want to feel like, Oh, I'm a burden now. So I didn't know how to communicate these things because I had so much stuff built up that I needed to deal with what was going on inside before I was able to share with my family, my husband and, um, every year I make a pact to myself to become better, um, to be more open with my family yeah. when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling. And, and I love that. Um, but then you still get that, that feeling of, oh, I don't want to be the complainer. I don't want to constantly yeah, say exactly. I'm hurting. I don't want to say I need yeah. a nap or I can't go on that run today or I can't play with yeah. my kids. And yeah. you literally and do beat yourself up. I you beat really myself do. up for years, years. Yeah, you really do. And I do, like, my family, they were so supportive. Um, they were always wanting to help. Like, they never whatsoever. They, and it's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. So uh, I deal with a lot of chronic pain every day. So it's kind of different levels every day. 
And it's kind of funny because I remember a few years after my diagnosis and my mom and my husband were like, you need to tell us when you're in pain, like, let us help you. And I'm like, I'm always in pain. And I'm always. Bobby, that is 100% true. We are always in pain at a degree that we just keep going with our life. And that's something that the world does not understand. Yeah, you just keep going. The world doesn't understand that. Yeah. The only people that understand that are the people living with the mul multiple sclerosis. And, you know, yeah. when you do start to open up to your family and they do physically see you go into a brain fog, not be able to speak, your face is yeah. not moving, you're falling, and no, you're not drunk. You're just yeah. falling. Yeah. And yeah. you go to do something in one room and you're like, why am I in this room? Right? And so until they start to I see mean, those things repetitively, so, it's yeah. hard to tell them. It is. And it's funny. So when I'm in pain, I uh, wiggle my toes. So it's kind of funny. My, my husband picked up on it. My sister, my mom, my dad. So when they see that, they look at me like, Hey, you can tell us, Hey, can you do this for the kids? Can you do this for, you don't have to do it. We can tell you're in pain. You're, I know you're not. And they know, um, it's hard for me to tell them. And they definitely give me that, uh, space and that respect for it and not harp on me about it. Um, and so they just do it. Um, but I, every since probably about four years ago, I really told myself that I need not only tell my family, tell my husband what I deal with, but also really understanding their side. Like, what do you guys go through seeing me? Like, what can I understand on your side? Because both of our sides, we experience different things like you're watching me go through this and I'm the one that's going through it so it's kind of crazy there is a relationship even though a person not having um the chronic illness but they're love someone or they're with someone that has it and it's just this crazy I just a crazy thing trying to navigate it together uh because sometimes you can become really quiet about your illness. Like I'm, I'm just done. Like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like I just mm -hmm. want to feel normal, like myself again. Yeah. And, but, and we all I do allowed myself to, you know, ha when I have those moments, it's so okay to grieve my own, my old self because before I never let myself because I can never go back. I can never have my old self back. So if I put myself always in that situation, it crushed me all the time. So I pretty much had to learn a happy area where, you know, this is my life now, but it mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's the end, but I can still miss my old self mm -hmm. and it's okay. So once I realized that for myself, because people would tell me it, but it didn't click. And I feel like we go through all these stage, these stages with our illness. Some people go through faster or longer. Um, but we pretty much or or never get there. Own. Most yeah. of us never get to that point. 
because it it is easier to stay in the pain and and just not want to take that next step forward of trying to heal but also the disease attacks our serotonin immediately yes and depletes us of any feeling of happiness and Mm -hmm. this is one common thing that i've noticed talking to so many warriors you i get my blood work done and my serotonin levels checked every six months and they put me on some balta and i start off at five milligrams and now i'm all the way up to 90 milligrams a day which is the highest but Cymbalta wow. was a drug made for cancer patients to deal yes. with everyday pain through chemo. So Cymbalta is a pain blocker. It goes straight here to the frontal lobe of where our brain registers the amount of pain we're in. But it increases your serotonin to keep you level. And all you need is blood work. Wow. So ask your neurologist about Cymbalta because my pain levels used to be 8, 9, 10. Now they're an average of 4 or 5 if I don't push my body every day. If I work out, yeah, it's the MS kicking in, but yeah, it's the muscle fatigue. And you really got to learn to like read it. But the thing is, is we all have had to learn to understand and read the disease per person because we're not all equally the same and don't have the lesions in the same spot of our brain. And that's what's so hard Yes, is that we're not the same. We're all the same, but we're not the same. Exactly. We all have the snowflakes and the white damage and the craters in our brain, but they're not in the same locations, but we could all experience similarities to what each other has gone through. And that's why I believe this, our multiple sclerosis community is the strongest community in the world with an autoimmune disease because we talk to each other. I totally agree. And it's kind of crazy that you say that because um, the first six years of having MS, like I didn't uh, really knew knew anyone, never talked to anyone with MS, like, but when it really is when I came on here on Instagram and that's when it was like this whole world. Yeah. And so I'm like, this is incredible. And being able to visit with so many people from all over the world, I'm like, this is just blows my mind. And Mm -hmm. it really helped me grow through with my MS, learn from it. Because there was things that I didn't know what was happening. People were like, yeah, it's this or yeah, it's that. I deal with this. And I it started clicking and I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Like I thought it, I was yeah. just, and I always, I always said, I'm like, well, I would, felt like I was just imagining it. Like, is this really happening? Like, is this how <laughs> I feel? Like, is that what this is? So yeah. being able to have this community, it's helped me so much, so much. It's uh, an amazing community. Get out of my bubble, yeah, and talking with people. But I just feel like I have that feeling of more hope, and of that feeling, and no judgment. Just, we don't judge yes. each other. Yes. Whether exactly. you're ready to keep moving forward or you are stuck where you are, we don't yep. judge because we remember what that feels like. 
Exactly. And that exactly. is very, very powerful in the world that we live in today. Yeah. And when people say, aren't you embarrassed to say you have multiple sclerosis? I'm like, no. 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 I'm a no, warrior and I have yeah. MS and I'm going to yeah. get through this and I am going to touch every person I can in the world as long as it takes me. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing, and that's what Maria is doing, and that's what Angie's doing, and that's what people around the world are doing, and we're realizing it's this far away. Yeah. Through this platform of Instagram or whatever platform you're on, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, it's just, it's an open freedom space to say, Screw it. If I can't get the answers, my fellow warriors are going to help me get there. Yes. And it's incredible. And I also love how you just started posting that on your page. This is the way that I'm working out now. And it's working for me. That it may not work for so-and-so, but it's working for me. And 12 new people can come to your page and be like, oh, my God, Bobby, I started doing that and it's incredible and I'm able to do it. And that's what I yeah. love about ages from food to nourishment to working out to picking each other up and yeah. saying, you are a warrior. You are going down in history as changing the world by your personal voice. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like where I'm at in my fitness right now, when I very first started, I couldn't even make it 10 minutes before, like, I was done. Mm-hmm. I was completely done. I wasn't moving. I couldn't feel my legs. Nothing. And so, but I hit, at that time in my life, I hit rock bottom. And I was tired of feeling the emotions that I was feeling. I'm like, I need to do something. Because I was super active in school. I was very... Uh, active in the military because I had to be yeah and I just stopped and so I'm like okay but I was so terrified to work out because I didn't want to make things worse mm-hmm. but when I hit rock bottom and I came on here and I'm like oh my gosh there's other people like people <laughs> doing this like I can do this too yeah so I started and it's been a quite a journey of four years it sure has taken me a lot longer versus someone else because it would have been a lot quicker um and i'm okay with that and who knows what the future brings but i pretty much never uh i never want to go to bed like regretting things like oh, i really wish i did this day or that day because having ms it definitely opened my eyes that life is so short Life is moment to moment with us. Yes, exactly. Because we don't know when that lesion is going to get to the very bottom and destroy all of the, you know, the neurons. The the, uh, uh, myelin sheath is so decayed that there is no recovery. And that part of your body will never work properly again. Yep. And we need to live in the moment now and it isn't Mm -hmm. i'll wait till next week i'll wait till tomorrow i'll wait you know i'll start i'll I'll lose five pounds now but i'll start in two months no yeah just live your life today for the best exactly and tell everybody in the world you don't have to and i had to get out of that mindset of 
uh, like my old, old self mindset of, okay, let's get it done. Let's go. Let's, you know, Mm -hmm. hit it rock hard. But I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Like it was a reteaching myself. It's okay. And it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It's just going to be a slower process. One day you will get there. We don't know when you're going to get there, but you keep going and just do what you can. When you can't, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But the next day is a new day and you keep going and you take rest when you need rest and you pick yourself up and you keep going. Just got to keep moving. Yeah. And, you know, speak your mind, speak your truth, tell your story. Yeah. Because... Even if you're at a restaurant and you're telling your story to a girlfriend or your husband or your children, somehow, some way, your voice will say something that two tables across from you needs to hear. Yes. You're not speaking it's to so them. True. But they need to hear and they're like, oh my God, that's my girlfriend. Oh my God. And it, mm-hmm. with us being so open about the disease and multiple sclerosis. And this is March Awareness Month. And we have had so many warriors on the podcast, but I'm not stopping there. I want you to come back on. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know where you are. How are the kids handling it? Where is life going? And what are your new adventures? Because we have faced being paralyzed we have faced blinding we, we have been blinded we have lost our speech we have lost the ability to have a bowel movement we i've lost the ability to even hold it and i have literally pissed my pants I, yeah it happens because my brain is not working at that time Yep. I've had the bear, ch- the the choking where it literally felt like there was a ghost mm-hmm. of a phantom behind me and I can't swallow and I can't breathe. And then the bear hugs. Mm-hmm. Those are the yeah. freaking worst nightmares ever. Oh, it's, ter- it's terrifying. It literally when feels it like you can't breathe and your ribcage is just being crushed Squished. down. And how do you explain that? Unless you literally it's get a bear and tell someone to stand there and let the bear hug you. <laughs> I don't know how else, but um, the disease leads into so many more complications. But the one thing that I found and that you have found and that so many warriors have found is happy music, colorful things yes. around you, having a laugh. Laughter is the best medicine. Keeping that positive yes. mindset about you, whether, oh, there goes my <laughs> Bobby, all right, we're down here. Yeah, this is MS. This is, I swear to God, my, this is how we drop. Yeah. Up here in my podcast room because every single episode, it slides down. (laughs) Okay, so for instance, I didn't move, but that's what happens to us. We will be standing talking to you and all of a sudden we are like, crash. Yeah. Living with MS is not easy, but we can have the best life possible. Of course. Always. And that's what you're proving. And that's what you're teaching your children. Your children are watching you and they are like, my mom is a badass warrior. And you are. You are a badass warrior. Not only that, you are in the Navy. 
with guns and things coming at you. You were in Japan when the massive earthquake hit. You have been through so much in your life that it needs to be a book. I told you that yesterday. It, it needs to be a book. And the more that we share our stories, the more that we tell our stories, the more that we help others get through their time frame, the better the world will be. And hopefully we will find a cure for multiple sclerosis. And if that cure is all of us being together and picking each other up to make it a better day, mm -hmm. then that's our cure. Exactly. Whether it is a medical, physical shock cure or whatever it is. Yes. Um, we can still live our best life. And it's up to us yeah. to continue to move forward one day at a time. And to pick each other up one day at a time. And that's what you're doing. And you're showing your children that you're not giving up. You're showing your husband no. and your friends and your family you're not giving up. No. Bobby, you have Never. been through so much. And I have the utmost respect for you of not understanding and not knowing what was wrong with you. But you didn't want to go down to the doctor while you were in the military and on the naval you know, ship and you just kept like going through it and going through it. Well, yeah. it became so bad that the lesions just kept growing and growing yeah. and growing. And now you're living a very good life with two beautiful children, a loving husband, and yes. you always have a gorgeous smile on your face. <laughs> your stories are amazing and you. you're giving everybody hope. Thank you. That's what I try to do. And that's what every warrior does. We mm -hmm. try to tell our version of the story to every warrior living with multiple sclerosis. So true. So, so, so true. Wow. All right. So, Bobby, please come back to live with Marie and um, tell us what's going on with your fitness. Tell us what's going on with the community and the town you're living in and I think you could even start your own program of a small community of let's just get together and just face our inner yeah. demons and let them go. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You are a true warrior and an amazing mother. And I'm Thank honored you know. to call you not only a friend, I am honored to call you uh -huh. my multiple sclerosis sister. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That means a whole lot. Well, you are a true inspiration, and I can't thank you enough for spending the time with me yesterday. Thank you for, for spending me. me the time so today, and it will be on Apple and Spotify, so anyone can go follow Live with Domery yes. on Apple or Spotify. Download it, send it to a friend, share it. The more we share these stories with others the more people in the world will be aware of what this disease truly is doing to over 3.9 million people worldwide. Yeah. That is huge. And that is only the it people is. that have been diagnosed, diagnosed. and registered. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Well, thank you so much, Bobby. Well, I really you. appreciate thank it. You, thank you. Keep inspiring and the thank world. Thank you to everyone who hopped on. 
And thank you for everybody and all the love who gave us lots of yes. hopes and messages and everything. And this will be on my page forever. So you can go in and watch this story all over again. And yes. then listen to it in your car on Spotify or Apple. Yeah. Yay. Awesome. awesome. All right. God bless well, you. Go pick thank up you. your young one and yes. go celebrate tonight on dinner if you can. Have a great one. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Okay, take Bye. care. Thank you, everybody, for watching Live with Dawn Marie. I really appreciate your love and support every single week. If you want to see different episodes starting in March, actually, no, we are in March, starting in April, May, and June, DM me and let me know what you want me to start searching for. But for continuing the month of March, we are talking about continue to move the body, mind, and soul. So with that being said, God bless you all. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your support every day. And I look forward to being able to tell your incredible story. So DM me, send me a message, and I will get back to you. Have a fabulous day and goodbye. And maybe goodbye. <laughs> there we go.